welcome to the latest episode of the Geek Rex podcast. This is our discussion of Star Wars Rogue One or Rogue One, a Star Wars story, as I think it's officially called. The um, not really prequel, more of like an uh, interquel uh that sort of sits between the prequel trilogy of Star Wars uh you know that uh that favorite chestnut of of everybody's from uh the mid 2000s and uh the uh, original trilogy uh, the lesser original trilogy I'm, I'm joking I, I can't even say that with a straight face Rogue One tells the story that uh, you you probably had spoiled for you if you ever saw A New Hope, which is mentioned in the uh, very beginning of the opening crawl uh, related to the acquisition of the Death Star plans uh, by a band of uh, Rebel Alliance soldiers. I don't know. I don't really know the uh, chronology of Star Wars, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't, I don't really know anything about Star Wars, but I know there's they're, they're led by, uh, by a lady named Jen Erso. And uh, a guy named Cassian Andor or something, and uh, they uh, they get them plans, and uh, they're ready to take down the Empire. So uh, a lot of people saw this movie. I don't know last weekend, and it was real popular to the tune of uh, the second biggest December opening of all time. I assume that means it's probably only behind Force Awakens. I have to assume. So Rogue One, we all saw it. I think. Uh, so before we get into that, let me just say hey to Harper. Hello. Cal. Hey. And Shane. Hey. Boys Club. Uh, and we're talking about, uh, the lady led Rogue One. So guys, um, talk to me about Rogue One. Let's just get right into it. Uh, I mean, we, I pretty much have a pretty good grounding. What y'all think about Star Wars in general from our <laughs> Force Awakens chat from last year. So, uh, and we'll be doing this every year. It, it's never <laughs> going to change. So, uh, what did you guys think of Rogue One? Um, Harper, uh, you said you really wanted to talk to me about this. So, uh, why don't you take the floor? Dude? <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, I really want to talk about it because I'm, I'm conflicted a little bit. But overall, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's got a lot of fairly serious problems that a lot of uh, folks have pointed out, particularly in the first half of the movie. But um, to me, the the second half that I'm sure we'll dig into um, the the kind of last action set piece that uh, that rounds out the movie is really really phenomenal and um, and does does some stuff that uh, Star Wars has never done or, or does things better than Star Wars has ever done in the past um, and leads leads into uh, into the original movie in a really um, surprisingly effective way despite kind of knowing exactly what's going to happen. So yeah, I mean, I was I was kind of on the fence about it up until that point uh, when they they get on Scarif, but uh, past that point, it, it really won me over, and um, and I think there's a there's some things to love about it too, despite uh, some of its flaws. Uh, what about you, Shane? I liked it. I don't know. I just don't really have any strong feelings one way or the other about it. I mean, there were there, there was the the one thing that I think everybody's pointed out that I kind of agreed with was pretty bad about it, but like. I don't know. I didn't find it boring. Like I know my brother did, but I didn't love it as much as some of our friends on Twitter did. But I, it was it was good. Boy, did your brother ever find it boring? Because I, I yeah. was the first person to hear that reaction. I believe the exact <laughs> words were as he turned to me after the screening was, "Well, that was fucking embarrassing." So uh, that was the first opinion I heard about Rogue One from anybody. <laughs> yes. um, uh, it, but I, I did not feel as strongly, uh, though. I will just say that uh, before we get over to Cal, I, I just I I was disappointed in it. 
I, there, there, then there's a number of reasons why, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that, but I saw it twice now and my feelings have not like changed much between those two screenings, but I recognize, I think I'm in a pretty significant minority, but Cal, uh, <laughs> I, I, I remember you said, uh, you thought this was better than the force awakens, right? Yeah. But I mean, I've taken shits that are better than the force awakens. So <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I legitimately think that The Force Awakens is a, a, a truly spectacularly um, abysmal movie, and this is a mediocre one that uh, I actually ended up liking in part because, as Harper mentioned, I think that the the uh, last third or so is pretty strong. It's pretty strong in a weird way in that I don't think it actually, like, it's it does this this is one of those movies that was like endlessly reshot and, you know, like it probably went to started filming with like half a script done. And that script was written on like toilet paper. Um, and you can tell because nothing that happens in the first third matters in the second third. And then nothing that happens in the second third matters in the final third at all. Like nothing that happens in the last third, which I do think is a lot of really good filmmaking and some of the most darkest, most interesting stuff that, like the Star Wars films have tried to do, but it, it all kind of comes out of nowhere. Like none of it really felt like it was like a natural progression from the first third of the movie or the beginning of the movie. So yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was fun. Uh, I enjoyed a lot of the design stuff. I enjoyed a lot of the effects stuff, uh, except for one thing that I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, you know what? It's a step up from Force Awakens. It gives me some mild hope for these prequel movies that I have very, very little interest in, uh, in that it is kind of, it is surprisingly dark and in some ways ambitious. That's the kindest thing I'll say about it. I, I don't want to get into a debate about the damn Force Awakens because we've already had that. But uh, as the guy who is like the Force Awakens big champion on this show, I wish this movie was as good as the damn Force Awakens because I would have maybe like tried to stay awake during the second time I watched this fucking thing. Here's the problem I have with Rogue One, man. It, it comes down to three things. Uh, and, and, and I think this will really tie into a discussion of the first half, which I think most people tend to agree is the messiest half of this movie, not to just jump right into the negatives. But when I came out of my second screening, which was the first time Hannah had seen it. It's the first time her brother had seen it. Uh, first time a number of our friends who we go to see movies with a lot had seen it. They all pretty much agreed that the first half was a, a big mess. The, you have characters like um, Forrest Whitaker, Saul Guerrero, where you're, where you're like, why is this dude even in the movie? Um, and then there's just very little character build to me. And I think that was the, the thing that really made me struggle, despite like some other major objections I had to this film. I just I felt like Jen Erso and Cassian and uh, Ch Chirrut Imway and Baz or whatever that guy's name is, they, they, they all are just the most boring Star Wars protagonists imaginable. <laughs> uh, I, I'd like, I, you know, with like Luke Skywalker or Han Solo, even fucking Anakin Skywalker. I, I, I feel like I know a little something about these characters. And that's the thing that maybe, maybe disappointed me the most is that we've got this incredibly diverse, very talented cast, a more talented cast, frankly, than the last movie had, I think. But they feel wasted in in, in sort of these uh, arch roles, the, these 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 very stereotypical 
one liner. Well, this is me. And and now I'm going to go, I'm going to go fulfill my mission. And that's, and that's all you get to attach yourself to me with. So that, that was like the, the problem I had with the movie, just even attaching myself whatsoever, but maybe, maybe I'm just really picky guys. Um, y'all, y'all tell me. I, I think don't... that might be why I didn't feel strongly either way about it. It's just cause yeah, they're, Besides uh, Alan Tudyk's character, there wasn't really anybody I grasped onto and like really felt anything for. And this is a movie that has Darth Vader, who's probably my favorite Star Wars character in it. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think out of all the main like crew members of uh, Rogue One, Cassian's the only one I was interested in. And yeah, and like the more you talk about it, it's like yeah, I don't know anything about him except that he was at least captivating when he was on screen everybody else even jen like i i just i i just did not care like i felt like at least with force awakens finn and ray and like all bb8 and all that those are like immediately characters that people latched onto and like poe dameron and stuff and those are going to be names that people are going to say in the same breath as luke skywalker and han solo and i think four or five years from now when you say jen or so if you're not a diehard star wars fan people will say who I, I, the, my thought on this is that you're right, but not because the characters are inherently boring, but because the movie is so schizophrenic and reshot. Like the Jin Urso of the first third, who wants nothing to do with the rebellion mm-hmm. uh, and only lives, you know, like has, has her father's necklace and all that doesn't really bear like there's not like a clear character arc to the Jin or Jin or so of the uh, final act where she gets that moment on the beach with Cassian and all that. And similarly, like the um, uh, Riz Ahmed's pilot, who I don't even remember his name, but like, again, interesting first third. Right. You know, like this jittery, nervous imperial pilot who has gone rogue. Uh, interesting final third as kind of a guy who is just as he kind of makes a decision to stand for something for once, he immediately pays a heavy cost for it, but there's no coherent a goes to B. It's just like this happens. And then like some other stuff happens on a rain planet. And then this happens. (laughs) And I think that that's as much as I like Uh, like a lot of the things that the movie does, I think that that's what ultimately kills the characters is like, I think that like uh, Ray or Finn, I think that Finn (laughs) has a very, I think that Ray's character arc is complete bullshit and is a huge part of the problem with with the force awakens. But Finn has a reasonably coherent arc from what I remember. It's been a while since I saw it uh, like a year and a week, almost exactly. In fact, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, he has a pretty coherent character arc and the movie sticks with his primary motivations, right? Like you understand the journey that he's going through and that can't, that, that matters a lot. Like, as you say, that's a big part of Shane. That's a huge part of why people give a shit about Finn and none of the characters in the force awakens have that. Like everyone ends somewhere that is completely divorced from where they began. You mean Rogue One? Whatever the Star, Star Wars thing. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree for sure. Um, I don't have as much of a problem with uh, the side characters not having like a ton of development. I mean, obviously, if this were a masterpiece of a movie, every character in the ensemble would be fascinating and have a lot of background and a lot of kind of defined personality and, and history and everything. I don't necessarily ask for all that in, in a movie like a Star Wars movie, but I do think that at least the main protagonist needs to have some semblance of a motivation and a narrative, and that's definitely missing here. I definitely agree on that. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, Cal, she is a totally different character uh, at th- at least three different points in the movie. You know, she goes from being like the kind of hardened criminal who has no interest in the rebellion to like this person who's like very emotionally attached to her family and like is very like desperate to rescue her father who, you know, in the first half doesn't seem like she really hasn't that much interest in. And then in the third, in the last third of the movie, she's suddenly like giving speeches and trying to convince council members and like, you know, is this like... Uh, supreme hero of the rebellion and and it's like where did did this person come from and there's no motivation for why this is happening and um yeah i mean a a lot of that goes along with just those kind of um you know kind of the jumbled mess that the first half is that there's a lot of kind of just jumping around in ways that sort of move the plot forward but um you know if you really look at it for five seconds it's like oh well you know, Cassian just made a phone call to the rebellion, but um, after she tells them what her what she heard from her father, no, then he can't make a phone call then because they're in imperial space. And it's like, wouldn't that uh, wouldn't that have like cut out an entire half hour of the movie if he had just told them what was going on? Um, there's a lot of little things like that that just sort of um, break down if you look at them at all. Um, I, I feel like um, a lot of the movie, well, like while like it's an interest, like overall, I think it's an interesting idea to do a story about the rebels who stole the Death Star plans. I feel like uh, too much of the movie tries to be like Disney or somebody being like, "Well, I'm tired of people making fun of the Death Star having this obvious flaw, so we're going to make it a plot point, this flaw, and that it was there on purpose." And so, like, why why does that have to be a big part of it? Why like why do they have to even acknowledge that? Well, that, that becomes a question of why did they make this movie at all? Right. <laughs> I think that's a fine decision to have that be a part of it. I, you know, I mean, I hate, like, obvious references and callbacks. Like, I'm actually uh, <laughs> I'm actually glad that I haven't watched uh, um, A New Hope or, like, that Star Wars Rebels show uh, in a long time because uh, a lot of that just sailed over my head and I could enjoy the movie for, you know, whatever it was doing. But I don't think that that's a case of that. I think that that actually is a bridge to uh, an interesting, dramatic character, which is Mads Mikkelsen's character that fortunately just don't do enough with. But like that in itself is actually a really great idea. I think where the problem comes in – do you guys remember that first trailer that came out? Right. Um, mm-hmm. And it had that one line that like a lot of people made fun of because it was cheesy. But I kind of like I was like, OK, it's cheesy, but it's fun. I like it, which is uh, this is a rebellion, isn't it? Let's rebel. That is a character who is part of the rebellion in a way that Jin never is. And so there is a version of this, I think, where Jin does have a coherent motivation where she's a part of the rebellion and this awakening that she comes to at the end uh, where she's willing to die for it is kind of the culmination of that arc. But that's not in the movie. And I think that's because at some point they completely rewrite Jin's character and her entire arc. And since she's the center of the movie, 
I think everything spreads outward from that one decision. Uh, there's a lot of sloppiness around the edges, and I think it, a lot of that comes from right there. Yeah, I, I think going along with that too, that's one of the other problems I have is there's there's a lot of lost opportunities along that kind of thread that, that totally got dropped, in particular with kind of making this like moral gray area between the Rebellion and the Empire and kind of showing that the Rebellion is not like perfect as they're kind of portrayed in all the other movies too, particularly with, with Saw's character who, you know, is a, is a mess. And uh, frankly, um, Forrest Whitaker is like <laughs> it laughably bad. Um, but the, the whole idea of kind of like the extreme rebellion and like the rebellion, um, you know, making bombing raids that are killing innocent people and, and that kind of thing. That's really interesting. And, and I feel like too, that there's this thing that they were trying to do and then they sort of just completely drop it with um, Saw being kind of, uh, a Darth Vader analog too, with like the, you know, he's got the breathing thing and he's got robotic legs and, you know, they could have done some really interesting stuff with that kind of uh, moral gray area with the rebellion and then making that, you know, part of her arc too and her coming around and realizing that, you know, there may be, um, you know, there may be serious consequences and you may have to do things uh, that are morally compromising, but if, you know, for the overall good or what, you know, there's something interesting there and that just gets totally dropped. And, and that too, get that whole plot line that's just vaguely there um, is totally ruined in uh, what's probably the best part of the movie, but it does mess it up when the rebellion flies in and, and, you know, saves the day on Scarif too, which is awesome, but it, it totally is like, okay, well, they're just the good guys. Like we, there's, we don't have to worry about any of that. You know, all that stuff that happened earlier, don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> Yeah, to me, it felt like the third act ended up being kind of unearned. And it, I, I recognize the visceral thrills of that, of, of, of those moments where you have the ATATs and your X-Wings. And I, and, and I really enjoyed uh, Edward's use of old stock footage from A New Hope mm-hmm. to cut out, uh, you know, the gold team and red team leaders and stuff or whoever, whichever guys it was. They cut into the scenes <laughs> from that. I thought that was I thought that was the most clever fan service of a film that's loaded with fan service that annoyed the shit out of me. But that that's the one time where I was like, okay, that's pretty good. And I didn't even notice it short of some bad mustaches. But when I don't care about the, your, your, your central players at any point, and we're, we're faced with a situation where they're going to be staring down imminent death. And in, in pretty much every case, they all get it. Uh, sorry for the spoilers. There's there's this mixture of I don't care about these characters plus the prequel problem of I know how this is going to end anyway. So the journey in between ends up becoming pretty lifeless to me, and I I just don't care about anything that's happening. And so even when you get to that third act that is exciting on on its own, on its face, you still have to deal with a really sloppy first first act and then a really really boring second act like i mean that was this is a tough second act and when i refer to the second act i mean that whole sequence in the rain where cassian's got the damn sniper rifle and they have to deal with the machinations of the rebel alliance or the burgeoning rebel alliance as it were uh I really could not believe that that made it to the final cut of the film. So I, somebody had to be looking at it and thinking that was a terrible, terrible second act. And I think that just ruins the entire entirety climax, entire climax of the film, which is a huge problem for me. 
Well, I mean, they they, they didn't have time to uh, okay or not okay that uh, set those second act problems because uh, they're too busy uh, snorting cocaine and thinking how great Grand Moff Tarkin looked. <laughs> Before we get to him, like, can we talk about how? Can we talk about the more painful callbacks to Star Wars? Which I would say, Grand Moff Tarkin, him being a character, is not a, a painful callback. It was more the other part about him. But like, how needed was C three PO and R two D two where they mm. were in that movie? And how needed were those two idiots from the cantina? I liked, like, what was the point of having those two? I liked those guys. The C-3PO and R2-D2 was ridiculous. But yeah, and the other one, um, I, to me, the whole... I, I think Darth Vader's necessary for the movie in the end. Yes, yes. He's not necessary in that bizarre middle scene that adds nothing to the movie and, and just makes... Uh, um, we, we get to see where he hangs out when he's not being menacing. Yeah, which is totally unnecessary. <laughs> the fucking pun. <laughs> Well, no, hey, there's not... Dude, he talks and puns the entire original trilogy. In your ambition? No, fuck you. That's not how Darth Vader talks. He doesn't pun. I I don't know. I think I think he does. He, he's not in Lethal Weapon 5. <laughs> which is how he was written here. I was... After that After that scene, I, I, I'd already seen the movie once. I went to the bathroom... And uh, our buddy Oasis came up to me and he was like, woof, man, I don't know who wrote that Vader scene, but that was pretty suboptimal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I was too distracted by, to listen to any of his dialogue because something just looked completely off about his helmet. Yeah, like, the neck was, is I, I it, it looked like he had It looked like he had no neck is what it looked like. <laughs> yeah, it was like and a that was really bothering me. It was a weird stumpy faced mask. <laughs> I felt like it was more the problem of the actor wearing it. Like if the actor wearing it was like taller and like had an actual neck, then maybe it wouldn't have looked so weird, but it just looked like his head was sewed onto his shoulders. Yeah. I mean, it looked like a party city special to me. Well, that's what Spencer had <laughs> been saying all the time. Too. I was, I, I was, I, I think it was very distracting. Uh, the, 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 that entire scene is also something that shouldn't have been in the movie. I mean, imagine if you could have just skipped you know, the phoned in James Earl Jones performance, uh, the bad costume, the bad pun, all of that. And the only time you saw Vader was in that last very effective mm-hmm. bit, probably right. the most effective bit right. of the movie for me. And all of a sudden he just comes in like a fucking bat out of hell. Right. Killing all those, all those uh, I mean, rebel alliance soldiers. The, the purpose it serves, we already had served with the idea that Grand Moff Tarkin was trying to like breathe down Krennic's neck. So like, why did he have to have the, the extra pressure of Vader? Like, what was the point of that except for fans to see Darth Vader? I, I will say though, that last scene where he's mowing down the rebel guy, that actually did kind of bother me. Like I, I, I I feel like Star Wars fans and Star Wars creators and just kind of everyone on Earth jerks off way too much to Darth Vader. And so giving him this, like, badass, like, evil, but, like, no one gives a shit because no, we don't know who these people are. Like, <laughs> no one cares. Like, if they really wanted to do a great Vader scene there, that ends with him cutting down Jin and Cassian. Not him cutting down a bunch of nameless dudes in this badass, well lit, like just beautiful horror movie tableau. Like that's that's bullshit to me. 
I don't know. I wouldn't wanted him to see. I don't, I don't, I'm glad he didn't interact with any of the main uh, the you mm-hmm. know, the Rogue One guys because I, I don't I don't feel like there was any connection there at all. Whereas it, I think in that last scene, it's more like he's almost like a force of nature, and the it's the you know the plans just being just out of reach is what makes that work really well for me. Yeah, yeah. I want them to interact. I just want him to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think that a death like that would have had a little more weight, probably. Uh, I, you know, the the sort of Doctor Manhattan, Watchman style <laughs> atomic bomb explosion at the end. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess they were trying to play up a romance between the two of them, or some very deep friendship. Like, I, I don't want to uh, prescribe romantic feelings to every character that's a man and a woman, but because uh, you know, men and women can be friends. That's fine, but. Uh, you know, the chemistry's not good anyway between Diego Luna and, 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 uh, 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 I'm sorry. Somebody t- t- tell me an actor's name. Cat Felicity Jones. Thank you. God. Um, the, the chemistry's not good between the two of them. And uh, so w- when they have those final moments together, I-, I was just like, I don't, I don't give a shit. I don't, I don't believe their relationship whatsoever. And it, that, it may be because I gave less of a shit about Cassian than I did anybody else, frankly. Um, but I was also really annoyed about how undercut Krennic was throughout this movie. And I felt like the most compelling thread, we were talking about the bad guys here, I thought the most compelling thread of the entire film was the sort of uh, uh, hatred that Jen should rightfully have regarding Krennic, her father's former friend of some sort, uh, associate, whatever, uh, along his father and mother's associate friend in the Empire. Uh, and he's basically responsible for cutting both of them down. And Jen never really gets a great revenge against him. It's sort of like a, right. a moral victory at the end. But Cassian's the guy who ends up taking him down. Yeah, I, I had problems with that too. Yeah, fucking nowhere too is the thing. Like, you gave Cassian his 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 death scene, right? Like, you gave him the he makes he makes a stand to buy time for Jen and gets shot down. Like, that's a fine death. He's dead there. No one cares. There's no Cassian fans demanding that he come back one last time. Like, Jin needs that confrontation with Krennic, as you say. Yeah, and it's funny that you say, talk about his death scene, what should have been his death scene, is it totally was his death scene, and then it, it, you can feel it, it, that they recut it so that, oh, he just fell like 10 feet. <laughs> I, I just like how he falls. It goes, dum, dum. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he was hitting literally like a Simpsons gag. He was hitting like every metal thing he could on his way down. <laughs> also, I, I, this is just nitpicky, but I was so bothered by the fact that there's like, in order to get this information from the base, it's like a claw machine, like one of those arcade claw <laughs> machines from like Coney Island or something. And then once she gets it, for some reason, there's like this. Open and closing, like like mouth thing, she's got to go through. And I'm looking at this, thinking, what's the what's the practical purpose of that? Right. Data yeah. security. <laughs> that kind of nonsense <laughs> is very Star Wars, though, and it it makes it much more interesting said, than it just was some typing kind of into weird a nod to Cloud City. I guess I don't know. Yeah. It reminded me of that moment in Galaxy Quest where there's like flames in the middle of the ship, <laughs> and Sigourney Weaver's like, who 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 the, who the fuck 
Microsoft built this. (laughs) So, um, all right. We're talking about the bad guy, uh, Krennic. And one of the things that really just like absolutely poisoned this film for me was Cartoon Man, um, (laughs) who uh, is the, I guess, uh, quote unquote, resurrected by CGI version of of the late Peter Cushing, who played uh, Tarkin in A New Hope. Uh, you know, Tarkin meets his end, I believe, in the Death Star when it explodes. Yes. But um, he uh, clearly is like the military leader of the Empire. So I can understand why that character is considered important in canon to appear in a movie that, you know, I guess, takes place like 10 minutes before um, the original film. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, Peter Cushing's no longer with us. Yeah, he died in 1991, 1990, something like that. But uh, what new, a new, what uh, Rogue One decides to do is to reconstitute him using another actor to, as a stand-in and then CGIing a uh, – interesting version of uh, Peter Cushing over him uh, while the actor is doing sort of a voice approximation of that actor. Um, I'll I'll just say this thing was so distracting to me because (laughs) it's hideous. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just utterly ghastly to look at. Uh, it, It moves weirdly. It shambles like, you know, not like a zombie, but it's got this weird sort of uncanny Valley Robert Zemeckis Polar Express thing happening. Um, I was about to say, I thought it looked very good in uh, when Jim Carrey pulled it off in A Christmas Carol. So, <laughs> well, let, 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 let me just say the technology hasn't moved much uh, in those numbers. <laughs> years. And I, and you know, for me, it's it's also just a, a, a damn moral thing. Um, yeah. I, I understand the estate probably okayed this, though they we, did. You know, legally, we don't know what the agreements are, um, and that's not my business. But I still just think this is a case of if if you can do something, it doesn't mean you should do something. And I just I just found the whole the, the usage of someone else's image uh, in a performance that they themselves would not give uh, is really weird. And I think it crosses a line that I think where 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 the where the hell do we stop? You know, right. What, yeah, that's. That, I think that's more my problem with it. It 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 opens up a very scary can of worms because you're like, okay, well they do just a little bit here, and like he's only a supporting character, but what's to stop another studio from using the same technology to fully resurrect a dead actor? Like, I think the point I saw made is like, well, what happens when they decide to make a Fast and the Furious movie with CGI Paul Walker? So, well, I mean, the that's that's gonna happen. That's. There, there's literally no way that that isn't the future of this. And I think in a lot of uh, blockbuster contracts, I believe I read two or three years ago that it was becoming standard to be written in that they had permission to digitally recreate you uh, <laughs> uh, in, in the future, like uh, for a future franchise. Um Oof. No, so forget all this speculation about whether or not like Robert Downey Jr. or Chris Evans will stick around for Marvel movies. They'll be Captain America and Iron Man until we're dead. So, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, morally, I mean, it's not great. But if you get permission from either the actor or the actor's family, I I, I can't bring myself to care that much. Uh, my real right. problem is that it's ugly as shit. <laughs> um, like it, it looks terrible. It looks like. I'm watching 
not a video game cutscene because at least then it would be coherent because everyone would look like that. And that <laughs> wouldn't be great. There's still an uncanny Valley thing, but it'd be fine. But it's like, it's like you're being fucking, it, this is going to sound weird. And I don't mean to, um, I don't mean to minimize, you know, uh, the experience of people this has happened to, but it felt like someone was gaslighting me. Like I was watching this and there was this one thing in the room that was clearly wrong and inhuman and not meant to exist in any of, in any reality and no one's commenting on it. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? Like, am I having a stroke? Like, I didn't know they had CGI'd him before. And so I'm watching this and I'm like, I, what is going on with his face? Like, what is this? And uh, yeah, it was just, it was ugly and distracting. And you know what? A computer just like CGI can't, act the way a human can act acting is so much in the eyes and posture and things like that and cgi computers like the technology just isn't there yet right and it's different when it's something like Gollum or caesar you know when andy basically when andy circus is involved <laughs> but no i mean it's different when it's a character that's created by these motion capture actors that are really talented and do amazing things and are able to create performances out of their movements. But, you know, it's not the same when you're just trying to recreate uh, somebody else and, and especially a, a character that's, um, you know, pretty important to the franchise for, for people who really care about that kind of thing. It's, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, it was just really distracting and just looked awful. But, I mean, just what a dumb choice. I mean, it would have been so easy to just cast somebody else to play the character. I, I get that, you know, this movie is so... Um, nudged up right against the beginning of A New Hope that it's not like, it's not like they use a young version of Tarkin because it's like, you know, three hours before before the first movie. But, <laughs> but you know, the, how easy would it have been to get somebody else to play him and just... The actor who on? played him in the movie didn't look that different from him, to be honest. Like, Peter Cushing had some very distinct features, but the guy, like, he would have passed for it. And I think even the most diehard of Star Wars fans would have been okay with it. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this happen in franchises before. I mean, look at Dumbledore. It's not people don't people don't leave the theater when it's a different person playing a. a, a to be fair, though, more of Dumbledore's face is covered up than it would have been with Tarkin. So, I mean, so people have imaginations, you know. <laughs> it, it, I mean, that's what I'm saying. We're talking about a character from a movie that's what forty years about old. About to be forty now. years old. Yeah. No, but how many people, especially these young kids that are coming to this film, nobody remembers. Uh, pushing, I'm sorry to say, I mean, unless unless you you are really a cinemaphile, uh, you're not going to you're not going to sit there and think, wow, that that that, that doesn't look like Grandma Tarkin to me. I mean, you don't you don't remember what that even is. They could have they could have done a million different things. They could have invented a new character. They could have recast with anyone. I mean, I, I've seen Charles Dance mentioned. I've seen Ray Fiennes mentioned, and you know Ray Fiennes will fucking do anything. So <laughs> I mean, look, it, it's it, there were plenty of places that they could have taken this. Hell, the thing that bothers me maybe just as much as the moral issue here is the fact right. that it makes Critic a weak villain. Yeah, I mean, what what's the point of that scene like what it, it's almost that scene exists to put us on Krennic's side for some reason like there's literally no other reason to have that scene and the Vader scene in there 
than to make us like and sympathize with Krennic. Like, I've had shitty bosses try and take control of projects of mine before. People can relate to that. Like, you don't want that, though. He's the guy who invents the Death Star. (laughs) Why are you trying to make us like the Death Star guy? (laughs) I mean, relevant to your mission. Do, do, I mean, do, do Star Wars hardcore fans need these movies to lock up that badly? I mean, it's... It, uh, you're asking the wrong group of people. <laughs> I know I am. I, it's just rhetorical. It's, just, it's, it's it, I mean, I would rather these be good movies. It's just, I've not heard um, in mind. I haven't been searching for it either because I just don't feel like dump, jumping down that rabbit hole. I haven't looked to see, but... Most of the negative reactions, if not all of the negative reactions I've seen to that Tarkin situation are people from, who aren't diehard Star Wars fans. I haven't seen any diehard Star Wars fans really comment on it, but I also haven't been looking for it. Well, diehard Star Wars fans were boycotting it because white men were not portrayed positively. <laughs> right. Oh, that, yes, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's why this movie didn't make any money, because well, white people were upset. <laughs> well, look, we, we, I, I know we're, we're dragging this thing through the mud because of my predilections towards Let's, let's be positive, yeah. Yeah, with, with, the, with the amount of time For the last left, five minutes. Playing <laughs> <laughs> six minutes of this podcast. Uh, talk about some things you liked about it, guys. I didn't really like a whole lot, so you you guys be be my be my cheerleaders here. <laughs> Alan Tudyk and that last Darth Vader scene. I, I would second both of those. Uh, K2SO is pretty great. Um, I think it's one of the most uh, well shot Star Wars movies to date, for sure. Um, yeah. It's gorgeous, especially that last half uh, or last third, rather. Uh, I, and I, I like some of the character. I mean, I like some of the the tertiary characters too, even if they're uh, pretty one sided. I think they are some pretty interesting kind of additions to the Star Wars cast, um, and some uh, some interesting ideas about kind of uh, you know how the Force works outside of just the Jedi and the Sith. I like that we have a Star Wars movie that's not all about Jedi and Sith, and um, but still kind of tells a story that's um, I think important to the kind of mythos and adds some interesting stuff. Well, yeah, I I think it expands the kind of stories that Star Wars movies can be, right? Like, this is legitimately, uh, especially in the last third, it's legitimately a straight-up war movie. And uh, I know that um, Todd Vanderwerf at Vox wrote that uh, this is the first Star Wars movie that acknowledges the series is about war, and everyone's (laughs) making fun of him for that. And I'm like, no, like, I watched the movie, and you know what? He's fucking right. Like, I didn't watch A New Hope and was like, oh, this reminds me of like World War II. No, it wasn't trying to. Those were trying to be pulp adventure serials. This was consciously trying to be a war movie. And I thought that that was an interesting choice. I wish they had really committed to it for the first two thirds um, the way they did in the last third. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it opens up interesting possibilities for uh, Star Wars going forward. I think it expands the visual palette of the series in some fun ways. Like there was some cool design. The uh, ground combat and space combat were, uh, were uh, I think, much better than anything we got in Force Awakens. Yeah, I mean, it has a ton of problems, and I'm, I'm happy to admit that. I don't think it's a great movie. But ultimately, I think that it pushes the franchise in a different direction, which after The Force Awakens, like, it badly needed new blood and for all its failures uh, i think this will ultimately probably be good for it in the long run 
uh, you know, it seems like the fans like it. I mean, yep. to be honest with you, every every reaction I see from people who are Star Wars people, uh, their reaction seems to be generally more positive than it was towards The Force Awakens, which, you know, is interesting to me being someone who's on the opposite side of that fence. I but, you know, I, I knew a lot of people that thought Revenge of the Sith was good, too. So it's it's I'd be curious to see how this movie ages uh, in comparison to Ryan Johnson's effort next year. And right. which remains like the, the the Star Wars movie that I was most interested in. I like Godzilla, you know, the Gareth Edwards film from two mm-hmm. years ago. And I thought it was uh, particularly for how well he frames his wide shots. And I think a lot of the that technique was still well used here. And I think uh, this had a, a wonderful cinematographer. I kind of wish it had a better score. Uh, but, yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. You know, lost it, dude. <laughs> Michael Gish. Yeah. He's, he's, if he's not copying himself, he's copying other people. And in this case, John Williams. So. I mean, it looked like he, he was like, well, here's a Star Wars score. They'll love this. <laughs> you can just see him behind the piano, uh, cranking out, you know, a, a real quickie, quickie thing to make a buck. Um, I mean, it's not, you know, his dark, his, his Dr. Strange score at least had one sort of catchy thing, but, um, I don't remember any of it because I thought it sounded too much like Star Trek, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, anyhow, do you have any final thoughts about this movie? I mean, I know you got, you guys have sort of tossed out some, some nice positive comments. I definitely think Alan Tudyk is the MVP of the film. I do agree with that. I think his character is very funny. It's the most compelling character of the movie. And certainly I like him. He's probably my favorite droid at this point. I don't know between him and that 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 beach ball thing. Um, that beach ball thing. But, You're on a geek podcast. You know guy. its name. You know. I know, its name. I know. I know. I know. I know. But between him and BB-8 with the wonderful little thumbs up lighter thing. Um, I mean, you know, when you're voiced by, uh, what's his face from Saturday night live, uh, it's, it, that it's hard for me not to be in love with you, but, uh, Bill Hader, but you know, it, there's some really good humor there. And I almost wonder if like all of his lines were the ones that Tony Gilroy wrote. Yeah. It's hard to say where Tony Gilroy came in, but yeah, I, I, I will forth that K2 S whatever his fucking thing was. Uh, was great, and I love Alan Tudyk forever. Alan, if you're listening, please call me. <laughs> I, I will say, I think, like, kind of like Cal was saying, it makes me hopeful for like these other standalone movies, and I'm really glad it was successful. So that way, Disney feels encouraged to do more of the standalone. And I'll say, when it comes to the next standalone, while I don't like the concept of a Han Solo movie as much as I did the idea for Rogue One. I do think uh, the Han Solo movie has a much better creative team behind it. You know, I'm I'm worried about that, though. Like, if this movie was so chopped up and so, I mean, for for, for any of the issues that that Force Awakens has, it at least feels like, to me, like a coherent whole. Um, uh, This movie feels like it's, you know, two or three different drafts all merged together between the, the Gary Witta original story, the uh, whatever the About a Boys guy's name is when he came in. <laughs> and then Tony Gilroy came in for like the final reshoots. Like you you could feel the seams on this one. And, and I, I worry that uh, these standalones are going to be crafted the same way. But, or, or maybe I just need to take them one at a time. I don't know. This, this feels a lot like, um, you know, everyone trying to emulate the Marvel formula of like that, that committee driven creative process. 
this felt like that done by people who aren't humans and have only a vague approximation of how humans interact. The Marvel stuff, for all that we criticize it on this podcast, does tend to feel uh, uh, coherent in its character work. Uh, It tends to feel like um, uh, structurally the stories, uh, you know, give or take a Thor. (laughs) The second Thor, I don't remember its name now. Dark Um, World. Dark World. I wanted to call it Dark Awakening, and I knew that was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, for all that, you know, give or take like one or two like that, they're very, uh, they're scripts that could be taught in intro to film studies classes as like, this is a Hollywood three act blockbuster structure. This is a, you know, exemplar of it. If you do this, you will probably sell your script. This felt like eight different film school students who took that seminar all turned in a different one. And the professor copied and pasted his favorite bits from each of them. And that's this movie like this. uh, It's an attempt to do that coherent, um, you know, uh, too many cooks, uh, too many cooks making one great meal thing. And uh, instead it ended up like every other attempt to do it has. Now you got me wanting a too many cooks Star Wars movie. So (laughs) Star Wars needs its Kevin Feige uh, (laughs) figure. Like, I mean, if, if, if they're going to do this producer driven, you know, committee run, hack up whatever gets turned in thing that Marvel is so good at, they need a Kevin Feige figure. Uh, Because we've seen time and again what happens if you don't have someone who is uh, smart, creative, and knows everything about everything about the universe. And that's the DC cinematic universe or the Universal Monsters cinematic universe. The Transformers one, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree. I mean, look, looking at the movie with with a few exceptions, there most of the scenes looked at individually are not bad, and most of them are pretty interesting. Again, with some notable exceptions. Um, but yeah, putting them together, they don't make a lot of sense. Um, with in, you know, once you look at them with any kind of discerning eye, and not just you know, I'm a fan and I like this and this and this, so that this movie must be really good. Yeah, it's it's just having kind of that guiding hand that definitely seemed missing for the for the narrative of the movie. I thought that's what Kathleen Kennedy was doing. Yeah, I don't. Kathleen Kennedy seems like a producer in the traditional sense, uh, whereas Kevin Feige seems like a creative producer in a, in a different way. Like uh, Kathleen Kennedy is enormously talented at what she does, but I don't think it's the same thing that Kevin Feige does. I see. I gotcha. Well, you know, the one thing I was impressed about this movie and it's been coming up a few times because I've, you know, I've got friends with kids and they were asking me and asking some of our other friends if this was like a movie they could take their kids to. And I've seen some debate about it and I don't, I don't have children, so I, I don't, I don't really know, to be honest, but I was, I was impressed that this movie was suitably sort of dark and took on some weightier material uh, here and there uh, without maybe seeming overly grim. Uh, one friend of ours said that the violence in this movie didn't seem amoral uh, in the way that like Batman versus Superman's violence was. And so I, I was interested in that. And, and I thought that that was sort of an interesting sort of approach to be able to be mature without 
maybe uh, alienating that younger audience and keeping parents away with their kids. Um, like even at, at our second screening, there was a kid in there that was like six years old. And, uh, you know, I've always thought of Star Wars as an all ages affair anyway. So I was impressed that they could take on different tones without uh, necessarily like scaring kids, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's this tendency in nerd culture to think that like, mature or adult i mean eh, i'm make i'm picking on nerd culture it's all culture we're shitty at knowing what actual actually is mature and adult we tend to confuse things that look mature and adult for things that are and i thought that this movie did a really good job of yeah of 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 going to dark places without wallowing in it the way that you know batman v superman or man of steel would and, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, it's spaceships and laser swords and laser guns and things like that. Like, well, it, it, no part of that sounds like something a, a kid would hate. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Superman is a dude in tights flying, you know, floating. That's around. true, too. And, uh, and I, I think plenty of kids probably enjoyed Batman versus Superman. I think it's more us wanting to put our understanding of like what it's going for onto kids and I don't think kids are really thinking too much about thematics. I don't get, I mean like kids are also dumb though. And I don't give a shit what they think about anything. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't adults. So (laughs) when I'm talking about like, what's actually mature, I mean like this was coherent in a lot of ways in what it was trying to do and say, you know, like it, it could make Cassian do bad things and acknowledge that they were bad things without you know, crucifying him for it in a way that, you know, I mean, Man of Steel can have, you know, Superman decimate a city and then make out with Lois on the smoldering ashes of their former workplace and then brag about how he's how he can fuck harder than humans. Uh, <laughs> you know, that is not morally coherent. Uh, I think that most of the scenes here were. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's one of the best things about the movie, even if it's kind of muddled, is that it does at least attempt to really show the consequences of this kind of of the rebellion and of this conflict um, in a way that Star Wars does not. And in fact, and the prequels actively avoid any kind of, you know, actual moral conflict um, whatsoever with just, um, you know, they don't kill anybody but robots until the last minute. So, yeah, I mean, I really like that bit. And and I like that there's actual, um, you know, death and destruction and consequences for what happens. And people are upset about that. They don't just move on instantly. And there are even callbacks to that. I mean, you know, that's one thing you never see in, in the original trilogy is anybody uh, going into battle and saying for Alderaan, like, no, Alderaan's just done. <laughs> like Nobody, nobody returns to that. Um, so it's kind of nice to see that for sure. Um, even if it's kind of uh, uh, foggy a bit. Well, um, with the final little bit we've got here, I, I'm curious to see where this movie sort of stands with you right now in the overall uh, series of films. Because the one thing I don't remember is what you guys think about these all of these movies, like in terms of like what's good and what isn't. So, uh, I, you know, I, I can tell you the only Star Wars movies I really like are the original film and uh, Force Awakens, which, you know, I like them because they 
pretty much play the same way. Just one has better acting and better effects. And now I like Empire Strikes Back because I like all the snow. Um, <laughs> but, that, um, that was me when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I have a, a very childlike, uh, you know, attention span when it comes to these things. Um, the rest of the movies could, you know, go fucking burn in a fire for all I care. But what about you guys? Do you guys like like this movie better than some of the original trilogy? Do you think it's down there with the prequels? Do you think it's better than the prequels? Uh, what do you What do you think? I'd put it right where it is in terms of uh, uh, continuity, right in the, between the two. Got it. Yeah, I would agree. It's still Empire, Star Wars, Return of the Jedi. This and Force Awakens are kind of neck and neck for me. They've gone back and forth uh, over the last couple of days, so I'm not sure where where they lie, but they're both in the middle. Um, and then three, one, two, probably. I would say, you know, uh, uh, A New Hope uh, and then Empire are the two best. They're the two, like, I will legitimately, you know, I don't do it often, but, like, if I'm going to rewatch a Star Wars movie, it's probably going to be uh, A New Hope or Empire, this is kind of on that next tier where it's like Return of the Jedi and this, which like I could see myself rewatching if I if I was given a reason to or if some friends wanted to see it right. So that's like tier two. And then the other four, uh, the prequels and Force Awakens, there is a reasonable chance that I will never watch any of those again. And I will uh, be happy on my deathbed that I saved that time to fuck uh, I don't know. Um, fuck. fuck. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's a, sure. Yeah. I'll be honest. Though, like that's going to be, I mean, like if I'm on my deathbed, like I'm probably going to say like, man, I wish that I had watched, you know, like one last movie and like, you know, fucked more. Um, <laughs> but I love movies. Like, so, I mean, maybe not, maybe I'll be like, Oh, if I had just, Watch Return of the Jedi one more time. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, I, I just I just bought all the Star Wars comics uh, in the Comicsology sale, or at least you know the Jason Aaron and Kieran Gillen ones. So perhaps I'll I'll learn to enjoy Star Wars more through the power of Marvel comics. Uh, though it's helped think, me. Well, <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, it certainly it plays in my favorite bit of the uh trilogy's timeline so um anyhow thanks for joining the geek rex podcast uh rogue one's playing in theaters you probably already saw it but if you didn't you know you know you go see it and you know you go tell us what you thought what you thought in the comments <laughs> and you know tell us how wrong we are it seems like most people probably will so anyhow we'll see you next time as we continue to move closer and closer to our year in wrap up uh uh, in, in the meantime, uh, have a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a Joyous Kwanzaa, and a Happy Holidays, whatever your faith may be. We will see you uh, in 2017. Happy New Year. <laughs> This is ridiculous.